0: Andrea Espinoza is a cradle Catholic from Brooklyn, New York, by way of Grenada, Trinidad, Guatemala, and Honduras. Her earliest memories of Catholicism include sitting with her late grandmother in their own pew in her Sunday best, trying to brave the Trinidad heat. And her earliest memories of Black Catholicism come from many Sundays spent at the 1130 West Indian Mass at Holy Cross Catholic Church in Flatbush, Brooklyn. By day, she works in administration and access services in the Schwerin Library of SUNY City Tech. By night, she is a Master's in Library and Information Science student at Queens College at the City University of New York. She is one of the co-founders of the League of Pan-Afro-Catholic Women, a ministry for Black Catholic women across New York City. Her favorite saints are St. Jude Thaddeus, which stems from a family devotion, Saint Jose Maria Escriva, patron saint of ordinary life, and Saint Jerome, the patron saint of librarians. Andrea is also a founding member of the board of directors for Catholics United for Black Lives. When not attending Mass at the co cathedral of Saint Joseph in Brooklyn, New York, or taking part in her many Catholic groups, she is usually spending time with her family, fiance, and friends in search of good food. This is Echoes and Hope with Andrea Espinosa.
1: Es Andrea Dorotea Espinoza por los españoles, hispanicos, latinos. Me llamo Andrea Dorotea Espinoza y yo soy una católica desde mi nacimiento. So I'm a Catholic since birth. I'm a creole Catholic and I grew up in the Caribbean, in a beautiful twin island republic called Trinidad and Tobago. Pretty massive. Wood up. And uh, I grew up with my grandmother and her husband, my grandpa, and they were both very devout Catholics. Ironically, grandpa worked on Sundays because he just felt like that was the best money. But, you know, every Sunday my grandma and I were in church. We went to a church in Gasparillo called the Sacred Heart RC Church and it was a very community-led church you know every Sunday we had our pew women sat on one side men sat on another side we did have a deacon who sat with his family and that was kind of revolutionary because this was a church I feel that was still trying to find its way via Vatican II some women still wore hats some women didn't wear hats but it, it really helped shape my faith because I saw the same people every Sunday and you know, it was such a magical time. And in 1988, I moved back here, and that's really the first shift in my face. Moving, nobody tells you that moving causes such a shift in your face because you now have to adjust to not only a new living situation, but also a potentially new congregation. I moved back to New York when I was nine, and my mom wasn't as strict in the faith of my grandma was. So we didn't go to church every Sunday, we didn't go to church for Christmas, we didn't go to church for Easter. I I wasn't even in Sunday school, I wasn't even in CCD. So it's like one day in 99 when my mom's like, yeah, you gotta go to CCD because Nenny, one of my godmothers, Nenny so-and-so said so. And she's like, what are you doing with her? Like she has to be in the sacraments, she has to finish. So I went and it was, it was different. You know, and it was a West Indian parish in Brooklyn, New York. It was Holy Cross Parish in Brooklyn, New York on Church Avenue. And it was a pretty Caribbean parish. So I didn't really feel that different from home. The only difference was that we wore winter coats in February instead of, you know, dresses because it was dry season and so hot. It was a very comprehensive West Indian parish for the people from Haiti, Dominican Republic, Jamaica, Barbados, St. Lucia, Trinidad, Grenada, all of it. And I went through the sacraments. My mom went with me on church to Sundays, although she was kind of a rebel because she did the 8.30 mass with me. She was not trying to do the 11.30 a.m. mass because when you start at the 11.30 a.m. mass, you're not getting out to like 1.15, 1.30. It's a Black church. It's a Black church. Like A lot of people don't realize we Catholics have our Black churches too. And if it was We have our Italian priest some days. We have our Haitian priest some days. It's a Black church. So I did that. And then I got my confirmation when I was 13 years old, partially because my dad felt that the church was trying to fleece us for money by keeping me there so long. And he literally went off on on the director and was like, yo, how long is it going to take her to make confirmation? Like, what is this? And they were so scared that they're like, okay, she'll confirm this December. And after that, I didn't, I didn't go to church as much, but I still went, you know, I'd go for Christmas, I'd go for holidays. I had a breakup in high school, like after high school graduation, I had a breakup and it, you know, led me back to the church for like two months before I went off to college. And I was in church every Sunday and I loved it. So when I went to college and I heard, oh yeah, we, we offer Catholic mass at this beautiful chapel. I was like sold. And let me tell you something. I went to that mass on that first Sunday. It was gorgeous, right? After the barbecue is where things all go downhill. Because the first question someone asks me is, oh, how did you find out about the Catholic church? When did you convert? And I'm like, "Um, I mean, Catholics is birth, so I don't know what to tell you. But that, I don't know why at 18, that really shook me. It really shook me because, you know, there are a lot of people, a lot of non-melanated people who didn't really interact with a lot of the non-white Catholics. And what happened at that time at my university was that a lot of non-white Catholics stopped going to church. So I went from being an every Sunday Catholic to, you know, sometimes I'd go if I feel like it or if I had managed to get up and not from partying the night before or whatever. But I didn't really go to church that much. And then at 20, my university took over a local parish because it was the only way the local parish could stay open. And let me tell you something, when I walked into that church for the first time, it's called Holy Ghost Parish on the campus of Lehigh University. When I walked in for the first time, I saw Jesus. This is one of the most beautiful churches I've ever seen. And the beauty of the church, besides the pretty artwork that the Germans did way back when, was the fact that I saw people from Nigeria, I saw people from India, I saw people from Puerto Rico, I saw people from Colombia, I saw people from all walks of life. I don't, I can't tell you what that meant to me to see that because the Lily White service at 12 o'clock on Sunday wasn't doing it for me. And I remember I would wake up at 9 a.m., To get there for that 10 a.m. mass because of the diversity. I still wouldn't always go though. You know, I was 20, 21, I was partying. I was, you know, I I did not always make it. I remember Easter, Easter Sunday, my birthday was on Easter Sunday, and my friend took me out for my first drink at midnight. And I woke up and I literally ran down the hill (laughs) to get to mass on time because I'm like, I am not missing Easter Sunday mass. And I did it. How I made it was that I saw a friend driving to church. He's like, yeah, I'll drive you. We're on our way to church across the river, but you're on the way. So I hopped in that van and I was in mass. I was in the front row too. After college, I had my first real heartbreak. There was a man I thought who I was going to marry. And two weeks after college graduation, we had a three hour breakup and I was, I was devastated. And that's really when my adult faith journey began because I'm reeling from this and I'm trying to process this. And the only place I can find myself is in church. That's the one constant of my life, church. Didn't care about a lot. I was going through a lot. It was 2011. It was a recession. Nobody could find a job. You know, my my family was like we invested all this money into you for this degree and you can't find a job what the hell is going on and church was the one place I didn't have to deal with any of that and I went and you know I'd been pretty steady every Sunday and going to church and really loving it every you know I I got a retail job and they tried to block me from church I threatened to take them to court and then I had you know from 6 to 11 they would make me work and then afterwards the day was mine So of course I I may or may not have ended up changing in the church vestibule because there were no cameras and I was not going in my dusty work clothes, but you know, I'm fine. Until 2015, I met a guy and then like all of 2016, I like, I, for some reason I didn't set foot in church, but that also coincided with the fact that I felt that I, I had outgrown my church. And that's something I feel a lot of people don't talk about, because the church I'd been attending was the church I was baptized in as a baby. My, most of my family went to this church, my Catholic family, most of my Catholic family went to this church. And I had come to the realization that if I wanted to get married, that was not going to be the place where I found someone. For one, it was mostly an older generation, and I felt that my parish was firmly in their grip. And they weren't really open to new ideas. It was either I stay in the church and I stay at this parish and leave the church entirely, or I find a new parish where I felt more comfortable and more affirmed as a young woman, and also, you know, where I could potentially meet a husband. Ironically speaking, in December of 2016, I'm on OKCupid and I come across this dude and I'm like, I like you. <laughs> and you know, we start talking and look at you know, we're engaged now. So I didn't meet him at my church, but you know, I attend a parish now that it's very diverse. You know, we have people from the Philippines, people from China, people from Puerto Rico, Italy, all these different places. And what's really cool is that there are a lot of interracial couples in my parish. So I don't have to worry about what it's going to look like when I have kids because I see possibility and it's a beautiful thing. I also discovered when I was 27, the works of St. Jose Maria Escriva. And that's really enriched my life because he's one of the first people in the church who's ever said to me that the everyday work I do matters to the church. So I really have found joy in those teachings and the communities that are associated with those teachings. What I love about being Catholic is the fact that it's not about just what you believe, it's about what you do. And I've explored a lot of faiths in my time. I've explored Rastafarianism. I've even, you know, done research into the Wiccan system and Catholicism is the one thing that says there are consequences for your actions and you have to take responsibility for what you put into the world. And that is a revolutionary thing because a lot of, you notice, a lot of people flock to the idea that, oh, I don't have to take responsibility. All I have to do is be this and believe this and I'll be fine. And I'm like, no, because if you believe that, then it's like where your seed falls, the kind of soil it falls into determines how the seed sprouts and grows. And if it doesn't sprout, it doesn't fall into good soil and sprout in good soil, you're not going to have a strong plant. Um, another thing I love is that it's so, it's so cultural, you know, it's every culture has a different interpretation of the church. My parish, where I attend the Co-Cathedral of St. Joseph, we have murals of every Marian apparition. And it's not just Our Lady of Lords. It's not just Our Lady of Fatima. It's not just Our Lady of Knock. It's Our Lady of Aparecida. It's Our Lady Guadalupe. It's Our Lady, Queen of Heaven, Nigeria, the Queen of the Assumption of Ghana. You know, there are so many different versions of Our Lady because Brooklyn is so diverse. And I love that I can go to an Italian feast to celebrate a, ma- a parish. And then I can go to an, a West Indian harvest day and I can get my Zeppelin's at the feast. I can, you know, honor. I can go to the like little shrine they have and pin my money. And then I, the harvest day, I can go with my aunt and my mom and be like, okay, we're dancing to salsa, we're dancing to bachata, we're dancing to merengue and soca and all those other things. I think it's a revolutionary thing. I find that there are people who say in the church. For, you, for my celebration of faith to live, yours has to die. And I'm like, why? Why? There's enough parishes for everybody. There's enough space for everybody. I mean, come on, look at all these beautiful parishes that are closing down. You're going to tell me that my little parish, you need to take over to survive when there's like one, two blocks away that has like no attendance and you can really build up? You know, make it make sense. But yeah, what, what keeps me in the faith is culture theology and an understanding that God is not there to solve all my problems but God is there to sit with me as I as I figure out how to solve my problems. As a Black Catholic I think a challenge I face is that a lot of the time I have to explain that they're Black Catholics right like You go to the cookout and everyone's like, oh, what church you go to? And it's not a Baptist church, it's not a Seventh-day Adventist church, it's it's a Catholic church. And they're like, and I have to sometimes tell people, I'm like, y'all realize the very first Christian service in the world was in Ethiopia. Because a lot of people don't like revelations, you know, where they say that the princes from Ethiopia shall stretch forth their hands to God. Like that is such a beautiful thing. And that's such an affirming passage that really shows we created the foundation that allowed all of this. I think the challenge I face, not personally, but as a member of the African diaspora, is that the American Catholic Church is determined to paint itself as a very white institution. And a lot of people don't realize the nuance there is in Black Catholics. Because Black Catholics aren't just Nigerian, aren't just West Indian, aren't just Latino or Hispanic. I mean, I didn't even know that there was a huge... Catholic tradition in Baltimore, New Orleans, but it makes complete sense when you look historically as who was there. You know, the French in Louisiana and the Spanish in Louisiana converged to create this beautiful Catholic culture. And then you have people in Baltimore, Maryland. Then, you, you know, you go across to Oakland and there's a beautiful, rich Black Catholic tradition here, even where I am, New York. We have an amazing Catholic tradition. You know, I live around the corner from what is dubbed the Haitian Cathedral of Brooklyn. You know, and when Bishop Guy Sansarique died, like, we we were really, you know, active. I wish people understood that, you know, there is nuance and how we celebrate faith, how non-American Black immigrants celebrate their faith isn't lesser than an Irish person celebrating their faith or an Italian person celebrating their faith or, you know, a a Polish person celebrating their faith. There is a richness in this. I mean, can we like agree that not having Gregorian chants and organs doesn't mean our masses are any less? Because I come from the Caribbean. I've never seen a piano in in my Catholic churches in Trinidad. I'm like, look, we have 100% humidity half the year. Like go there with a blowout you are not going to walk out with that blow. You're not walking in a church with that blowout. You're not. <laughs> you know So pianos, we've had to deal with other things than pianos. We have keyboards now. We have keyboards because they're electric. but in the 50s nobody nobody had a piano. Maybe the white, the white British parishioners, maybe the white American parishioners in their churches, but we weren't allowed into those churches. And that's a whole other story, you know? So, yeah, I think that the challenge I feel I face is that a lot of people are trying to tell me that how I celebrate my faith shouldn't exist and that I should just follow this one Euro normative way. And I think that's completely wrong and I'm not here for it. As a Black Catholic in the church today, I feel that I bring nuance. I feel that I bring history and information to the table. And I also bring understanding because the truth of the matter is, I am living proof that there are Catholics in other parts of the world besides the African continent who look like you or I. I am living proof that there are Catholics who speak, who look like me and speak another language. Yo I Africanos, Hispanicos y Latinos. I represent that there are people who literally live at the touch point of culture and heritage every single day and it is nothing to be ashamed of. I, I don't see why I should be ashamed of my heritage that you know, a Grenadian and a Guatemalan could have a beautiful child and that beautiful child could be born in New York, but raised in Trinidad and therefore have all of these cultural touch point experiences. You know, I think what I represent as a Black Catholic is that I too am America, like Langston Hughes says, you know, where he talks about eating in the kitchen and, and getting ready for the fight ahead because tomorrow nobody hes checking everybody. I am that person and i think as a black catholic too i i represent the idea that black catholics can walk into a church and feel at home because let's be frank when you go to a new parish the first thing you're checking is are there people who look like me are there people who understand where i'm from and you know i i represent that for somebody else because i know when i walked into my new parish and The first usher I ever met was from St. Lucia, and I miss her so much, you know, and she was always the one checking in with me and saying, hey, how's it going? Always asking after my fiance, asking how he's doing, and, you know, supporting us so much that, you know, we really felt home. To the church as a whole, you know, I want to say we are a beautiful institution. We are an old institution, but as Ben Wislaw, and daniel craig said in skyfall youth is not a guarantee of innovation But age is not a guarantee of wisdom i think that we are on a a new path ahead and a lot of us don't know what it looks like for the church the church is on a new path we don't know what it's going to look like but we need to figure out for ourselves individually what the church means to us and move from there because the church is, the church is not a building. St. Peter's Basilica did not exist, you know, when St. Peter was being crucified. It didn't exist when Christ was being crucified. The church came together because we were a people. We we celebrated Mass services in caves. We celebrated Mass in God knows some crazy places. But we persevered because it was the ideals that held us together. What I wish Catholics today would do is, is hold on to those ideals, those ideals of love and those ideals of strength, of fortitude, of hard work, of human dignity.